And welcome to another recap from Code with Kingy. We're in round Ono of Super Rugby in 2020. I covered four games over the course of the weekend, the first of which was in Christchurch, where the Crusaders beat the Reds 24-20 on a windy evening to extend their unbeaten run at home to 34 straight. Now, the conditions made passing the pill trickily in the early stages, and this was exemplified when George Bridges' attempt at an offload was wayward to the intended target of Dallas McLeod. Thankfully for the fullback though, his forwards won the ball back and Big Joe Moody was in under the black dot less than a minute later. The Reds would get on the board through a nicely worked strike move from a line-out to winger Chris Fayel-Saltier, with Richie Wonga then answering that try with a three from the tee. Now Queensland number 8 and man of the match Harry Wilson scored the visitors' next try before the break and locked it all up at 10 apiece before the Oranges. Bridge scored the first try in the second half after making his way through five opponents, although the seven-point buffer didn't last long as prop Taniela Tupo crashed over from short range to then cut it to two. Six minutes later, though, the Crusaders bathed another five-pointer through Leicester Whanganuku, where the ball went through six sets of hands before being dotted down by the Marco Flyer. But just as they'd done all night, the Reds said, anything you can do, we can do better, where they then worked their way from their own 22, which included seven passes in the build-up to make it a four-point game with only a handful of minutes remaining. Now, the away side looked to, or looked set to snatch a win when Tupo made a short burst down the right-hand flank, but a great covering tackle from reserve halfback Mitch Drummond snuffed out that chance and ultimately saw the Red and Blacks home. Going straight to the score sheet, what jumps off this page is the Red shocking goal-kicking. They missed all four of their conversions, where if they'd at least got one of them over, it would have changed the complexion of the game. On top of this though, the Crusaders conceded more tries, penalties, missed tackles and were even shown a yellow card, but still somehow managed to walk away with the four competition points. Head coach Scott Razor-Robertson talked about accuracy and execution in their play this week and come Friday it seems as if everybody had heard that message except for his players who stripped. Some poor box kicking and poor handling put them under the pump early, but their foe's inability to punish them on the scoreboard kept them in the fight. Now you have to give the Crusaders credit as they've shown once again that if you stay in the contest and do the bare minimum, you may actually leave the game with a smile on your face, which of course they did. Skipper Scott Barrett was immense, especially in the last 40 with at least a quarter of his 25 tackles putting the ball carrier on his backside. Fellow forwards Joe Moody and Tom Christie also put in big shifts, which included a number of tackles, while in the backs debutant Dallas McLeod and Jack Goodhue combined well in the midfield and together they ran for 124 run metres. And Bridge, of course, had a decent outing at the back and clocked up just under 100 clicks as well as beating 10 defenders. Next up was the Chiefs in Wollongong where they ran in 38 consecutive points in the second stanza to help thrash the helpless Waratahs 51-14. The visitors actually dominated the opening period of Friday night's late clash but only mustered one try through wing Sean Stevenson. The meat pie was worked from a line-out strike, but it was Solomon Alamalo who did most of the yakka with his sidestep turn line break putting the pill back into Aaron Cruden's basket before he then flung it out to Shooter for the score. The hosts would swing the game back in their favour though, with tries before the break to fullback Curtly Beal and number 8 Jack Dempsey, both of which came from pretty average tackle attempts from the Munna. First five all Harrison converted both shots at goal, and weirdly it was the boys in blue leading at half-time, 14-13. It took the Chiefs less than two minutes to find the chalk out of the interval, with Brad Webber exploiting a hole near the ruck and then trotting away under the posts. 
He would stay involved in the action a minute later as well, where after faking a boxy and putting it to Aaron Cruden, who then dished it out to Stevenson, the winger then made his way up the train tracks before cutting back in field and delivering a Benji-esque flisk pass back to the little man to help him bag a brace. The floodgates then opened after following the halfback second score, with Sean Wainui, Lachlan Boshier, Anton Leonard-Brown and Ale Malo all crossing the whitewash before the game's end. It was yet another impressive second-half display from the Mana, who have now outscored their opponents 120-25 to in the final 40 of their past five games. Now, despite the Waratahs having the edge in position, it was the Chiefs' ability to capitalise with their scoring opportunities which saw this game blow out, as well as doing a number on the Tars at the breakdown with turnover ball. They want to improve on starting the game right and keeping it together until the ref calls the play dead, but should they continue to pour on the points at the restart of the second the wind should keep on coming. Leading the way for the red, black and yellow were Ford's Peter Sawakula and Boshier, who accounted for 31 tackles and 7 pinches between them. As for the tea drinkers though, Weber was spectacular in his two-try effort, as well as Leonard Brown and outside Stevenson and Ale Malo also doing a world of good. The pundits game of the round between the Hurricanes and Blues saw the visitors break a 9-game losing streak and snatch a 24-15 win in the nation's capital. Now, bar the first two minutes, which saw Vi Fafita set up Ben Lamb for possibly the easiest try of the season so far for him, the Blues' defence was like that of a wall at Sky Stadium on Saturday, repelling wave after wave of Kane's attack. They would be rewarded for their work off the ball just before half-time, with stand-in number 8 Akira Iwani barging over through a pick-and-go after a strong carry from a 5-metre scrum. All Teddy Black nailed the conversion to give his side the lead, but Geordie Barrett drilled his own shot at goal to give the host the advantage going into the second spell. A red card to Tyrell Lomax five minutes into the second half after connecting his shoulder with the head of Stephen Petalfetta I meant his team would be doing it tough for close to the next half an hour of play. The Blues made the most of the extra man with the informed Mark Talia bounced off Wes Houston for a fiver in the corner. But the Hurricanes answered the bell when Gareth Evans scooted down the blind off a scrum just outside of the red zone and fed Cobus Funvik for the score. Fafita joined Lomax in the naughty chair when he was given his marching orders for a Niams tackle, the penalty resulting in another black shot at goal to give his team a two-point lead. Now down to 13, the Blues found space out wide after a line-out maul and forced Barrett into risking it for the biscuit, and what would have been a 14-point try had he held on to his intercept attempt. Referee Mike Fraser, though, saw this play as a deliberate knockdown and awarded a penalty try before directing a yellow card in the fullback's direction. The host did get one last crack at a bonus point, but with only 12 players, it never eventuated. Now, it's hard to tell how this game would have turned out had it stayed 15 on 15, as on one hand, the Hurricanes were in the fight with 14 players with just over 15 minutes ago, yet on the other, the Blues' defence was actually quite stellar all evening, and who's to say they wouldn't have done enough had it been an equal playing field. Talking of the Blues tackling though, I found myself tipping my hat on a number of occasions during this game with just how firm they stood in the face of an equally aggressive attack. Having endured two weeks of physical punishment from two South African Ford packs, the visitors then backed this up with a courageous performance in Wellington and did what they needed to do, for example kick their goals and keep the penalty count down, to claim yet another away win. As for the home team though, their discipline, most namely their tackling technique, let them down in this one and cost them their third place spot in the Kiwi Conference. They did well to hang in there after going a man down and you can almost excuse Barrett's thinking when he went for the intercept attempt after being down 3 on 1, but Fafita just has to know better when his team is already under the pump. 
Outside of their discipline, though, the option taking from playmakers Barrett and Fletcher Smith was suspect on a number of occasions, and you could argue that had they taken their chances in the early spells, that maybe the game would have turned out a little bit more different. For the Blues, though, it was their big men who got them on the right foot in this game, most notably Ofatonga Fasi, Kurt Eklund, Tom Robinson and Nikita Iwani, while the pace and energy from Rico Iwani and Mark Talia got them down the right end of the park, and the composure and direction from Black kept them there and kept the points ticking over. For the crew in yellow, though, Locke Scott Scrafton and Isaiah Wokalewere both put in big shifts, while Nani Lamapi looked dangerous with ball in hand, and Ben Lamb ran well when the ball came his way. The final piece of coverage for round on all was played out between the Bulls and Highlanders, with the hosts chopping jerseys at the break and running in five tries to down the Braveheart 38-13. The Landers were the first team on the board, the Ray tried to Josh Iwani, but prior and following his dot, there should have been maximum points taken from the visitors. The first time being when Dylan Hunt lost control of the pill with the line within his reach, and the other being when Aaron Smith looked to try and do a little bit too much and spill it on a quick tap attempt. These two missed opportunities led to a try to Bulls hooker Yako Visage, but Iwani would push their lead back out to five after landing his first penalty goal in the 35th minute, and the score would stay this way as the two teams entered the sheds. Now, both teams actually started the game in a blue jersey, which made it hard for the viewers and presumably the players to distinguish between who was on what team. Wanting no more of this, though, the Bulls changed their strip at half-time to an alternative yellow jersey, and with it brought a different attitude to start the second half. Full-back Warwick Gallant cruised over in the 48th minute after a yet another Iwani 3, and from there it was the Roscoe Speckman show with the left-winger crossing for a hat-trick in the space of 20 minutes. Fellow outside Cornell Hendricks also got on the score sheet after replacement Tiaraki Ben Nicholas mishandled a Kane Hamilton pass, but the game was over by that point and it was only pouring salt into a pre-existing wound. As touched on, the Highlanders just couldn't piece together any sort of attacking sets, just like the weeks of the past, and ultimately it was their undoing. What also didn't help with their struggles was their dismay at the set piece, which in the second stanza saw them get put to the sword and allow for the Bulls to build in confidence. The Landers' playmakers did look noticeably better this time round, with Pivot and Mitch Hunt having his best game of the season so far, but the Mahi done without the ball, which I mean is on defence, was also pretty shaky, and there were also a number of times where there were some pointless kicks given up by the pair, when it was probably a better option to keep the ball in position. Now, skipper Aaron Smith is going to be a huge loss for this team when he goes on his all-black leave, as without him, I'm unsure where the orders are going to come from. He has been guilty at times of overextending himself, but I put this down to him trying to create something after ineffective carries, you know, seemingly wave after wave. This team is very inexperienced, but more so than that, they lack X-Factor. Gone are the days where you can sort of just work the ball to Waisaki Nahola or Ben Smith to spark some magic, which Highlanders fans are now learning the hard way. Turning to the positives though from this fixture, Locke's Monaki Selby Ricker and Jesse Paratip did bring some ticker. Hunt and Shannon Vrizzell got their shoulders stuck in with a number of big tackles, and then in the backs, Mitch Hunt and Michael Collins did provide some nice touches when they were on the run. On now to my team and player of the week, where in the engine room I've gone with Joe Moody, Kurt Eklund and Ufa Tongafasi, while in the locks I've gone through Crusader skipper Scott Barrett and paired him with the youngster from the Highlanders, Manaki Shelby Rickett, 
On the blind side, I've gone for the turnover machine, Lachlan Beauchere. At open side, I've gone for the tackling machine, Tom Christie. Well, at number eight, I've gone for the new kid back on the block in Akira Iwani. Starting my back line is halfback Brad Weber, while in the 10 jersey, Audrey Black gets the nod for the third consecutive week. In the midfield, I've gone for ALB, Anton Leonard Brown, and Rico Iwani, while on my outsides, I've gone with the Blues' lovely Mike Talia, the Chiefs' shooter Sean Stevenson, and then at the back, it's the Crusaders' George Hotlegs Bridge. Now, round six is Kaitakaro Otewiki. The player of the week was a toughie, but after mulling over it and giving it some serious thought, I've gone with the Chiefs' Brad Weber over the Blues' Mark Talia. The All Black halfback is enjoying another stellar super season and has hardly put a foot wrong when on the field for his side. As mentioned, the Chiefs dominated the first quarter of their match, but led the Waratahs back into the game with two relatively soft tries, which then saw them trail at the break. Now, Weber's two tries after the interval, both of which were initiated through his own nous, swung the game back in the visitors' favour, and I, for one, thought ultimately won them the game. Overall, though, he clocked up 74 run metres, beat four defenders and added three clean line breaks, as well as throwing in a couple of tackles. Now, this may be the hottest take of the year so far, but don't be surprised if we see Weber usurp TJ Piranara in the picking order cam test time. Should the All Blacks continue to revolve their game around quick pill, this would continue to fit Weber's game to a T. Now, for those of you that know me, you'll know that I'm not TJ's biggest fan, but bias aside, I just think that Weber's style of play is actually more suited to the All Blacks than TJ's, and Weber is just that lively as a player that I don't think it would matter if he came off the pine. Now, there are going to be those of you that argue that, well, you need TJ Perinara because he brings a different style of play, being a bigger halfback can be a bit more physical, and again, he, to me, is the best running halfback in the world and has a real nafs for being around the ball, especially when it comes to just being the last of the hands to score a try. But I don't know, I think Weber has shown over the past 12 to 24 months that his style of play more so matches that of Aaron Smith's and that the transition from, you know, sort of bringing that guy off the bench, there isn't really going to be a drop-off like we see with TJ's, especially with TJ's passing. Um, I'm sure that him being a bigger guy has a big part to play in it, but I just think Weber has a nice appeal and can still provide you that spark in terms of with ball in hand and through support play. But again, you know, that's just me, and yeah, let me know what you guys think of my take. To conclude this episode of Code with Key, my Fakaro Motewikine, my shower thought for round uno of Super Rugby is how would the game change if only the kicker had the power to put players who are in an offside position back onside? Currently, players can be put back onside by a kick chaser if he was behind the kicker after his nudge, but what would happen if players in an offside position were only put back onside if the kicker was the one running past them to put them on? How do you think this would change tactical kicking, or would we see less of it? I want to know your guys' thoughts. And then also, my kupu or te wiki, my word for this week to integrate into your own rugby chat and so on, is rutu. Now, rutu is tackle, as in tackling a player. That's pretty much it for this week, Fano. from my end. Um, I hope you have an enjoyable week, and I will see you all next rahina, next Monday. Kakite.